you talk to Goldman Sachs 10 years ago and you say, we're going to have a Bitcoin ETF, I think they'd laugh you out of the room. Hello and welcome to the Solve to Evolve podcast, where we keep business owners and investors informed about what's going on in Australia. Today is a great episode with Harry Dell, talking all about crypto tax, dealing with the ATO and what you need to know if you're into crypto and you're not sure about what's coming with tax and making sure you're on top of it this year. All right, here we go. Harry Dell is the founder and director of Kidena Legal, a specialist law firm that has a focus on crypto and Web3. Harry's expertise comes from working at both the Australian Taxation Office and mid-tier law firms before joining Kidena in 2022. Harry has over 40,000 followers on TikTok and a podcast of his own, Tax Law, which is a true crime style analysis of high-profile tax scams. Welcome and thanks for joining us, Harry. So like me, you started your profession in a larger firm and at some point you decided to move and start your own firm. So I'm, I'm sure there's a story behind that. Why did you decide to start your own business? Well, thanks, Jonathan, for, for having me on, first of all. The story about starting the firm, it's, it's just over two years old now. And really it came from, I like to do things a bit differently. We work in new emerging industries and they didn't really gel that well with existing law firm models. And let's, let's leave it at that. I thought I could do it better <laughs> myself and I think I've succeeded. Hopefully I keep succeeding in that. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I was surprised it was only 2022 that you started Cadena because I thought it was much longer than that for some reason. Feels like longer. <laughs> yeah. It feels like longer. I don't know why. Yeah. And, and how did you find the niche, particularly in crypto tax? Well, it's funny. I've been, I've been around crypto for a very long time. I, I can't claim that I've been doing this for 10 years or anything, but like, I, I remember the guy buying pizza with Bitcoin and yeah. I'm like, this is dumb. It didn't click at that point. <laughs> the first professional exposure that I got was actually while I was at the tax office. Right. And we were doing some work in 2017 with Bitcoin as an asset and all sorts of things. And this, this was pre-DeFi summer. And the, the issues were like pretty like well-contained at that point. Uh, you know, I did the stuff and I was like, oh yeah, this is great. It still didn't click. I still, I still didn't buy in at that point, but that was sort of the experience that I had. And I did bits and pieces over the years, but it wasn't until about 2020 when I started to get a lot of guys, like generally younger guys. And they'd made, frankly, silly amounts of money doing silly things on the internet. And most tax lawyers wouldn't even listen to them. And I was, mm. I was in my, my growth phase, my BD phase. And, and I met with them. And, and the first client that I took on, I said to him, I was like, look, I understand, I, like, I understand what you've done and what you're doing in your business, but I don't understand the solutions yet. And I said, like, I'm happy to work with you, but we're going to have to figure this one out together. And, and that one we did figure out. It was quite a sort of complex restructure we did. The guy wanted to move, move overseas and, and we sort of worked through it all. And it was basically from that one guy that I just said to people like, yeah, I can do it. And there was a lot of figuring it out as we went along. And here we are today. Look, I, I think we get most of the good work in Australia at the moment, which, is, which I'm very happy to see. Yeah, it's a very small community of any professions who who focus on this, who focus on crypto as as an asset, investment grade asset, and uh, it goes for accountants as well. You know, gentlemen like yourself. There's very small. I reckon there's less than fifty professionals in this country that that really take it seriously in terms of you know tax, accounting, legal professionals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind of gets um, 
uh, a bad rap in, you know, the mainstream media and things like that. So in some professional yeah, circles, it's looked down upon, I guess, and not taken too seriously. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite funny, you know, the, the, the attitudes are very negative until around this part in the cycle when people, you know, say, what should I buy? And I was like, mate, I don't know what to buy. I'm just, I'm just a lawyer. But the interest changes, but it's simply like, oh, I can make money off it. Suddenly the fact that Bitcoin's only used for money laundering fall to the wayside. And, and this, you know, the levels of sophistication grow and grow. And, and, and this is going to be a, a very sophisticated cycle. You know, we've got the ETFs and such, but, you know, nobody's interested until it's basically too late. So, yeah, I think yeah. we're early still, Jono. Yeah, that's no, good. It's good to be early. And you mentioned the the Bitcoin ETF. I mean, since that's a recent news in the crypto world. How do you see that changing the landscape, if at all, from an Australian point of view and, and from an international point of view? Well, the, the problem it's solving is exposure and custody. So if you're a bank and you want to hedge your portfolio and say, well, you know, one, 2% allocation to Bitcoin previously, they, they couldn't, they couldn't do that. And yep. us as sort of private individuals, we could do that because we can take a relatively small risk in, in holding our own custody. But now that we've got regulated ETF products, you can get exposure to the price of Bitcoin in a secure way where you know you're not going to lose your coins. Look, I assume they have insurance, these ETFs as well. I think that was a big problem that they worked through. But now that's solved. But for the retail investor, it doesn't change a lot apart from clearly that it's a, it's a market movement. It's a, it's a news event. And there's going to be lots of big funds buying Bitcoin to put in their reserves so they can have their, um, their ETFs, um, you know, matching what their investors are buying. So we've seen a lot of buy pressure in the past three months in anticipation. And when the ETFs sort of went live, um, I think it's been the, the, the fastest like ETFs to, to a billion US ever. I think it took like a matter of days. Um, it's all the funds yeah. came in and, uh, like it's good reputationally, but I, I did, I did say, I said this to a, to a panel the other day actually is you know, Bitcoin was the first shit coin. Like, <laughs> you know, talking to these, like you talk, you talk to Goldman Sachs 10 years ago and you say, we're going to have a Bitcoin ETF. I think they'd laugh you out of the room <laughs> because that rightly be say, isn't it just for buying drugs on the internet? And that, that was part of the initial use case, but that all fell yep. away, you know, as it, as it got more sophisticated. And this is really going to help to just shake some of that bad reputation off. But those people who hate it are probably always going to hate it. But the people who are just interested in the value can now get easier exposure and hopefully it brings them deeper into the market, into, into other products. You know, we're, we're going to get an ether ETF within the next 12 months. It's basically a certainty at this point now. Yeah. And after that, I think it'll get a lot more interesting. We're going to start seeing indexes of crypto tokens, perhaps, you know, a, like a top 10 layer one ETF because people are going to mm. want exposure to that. I also think that it's going to be the downfall of the market, you know, in this cycle is going to be some ETFs are going to go wrong because if they start having 10 different assets or 20 different assets in it, I just don't, I don't know if institutional fund managers really know the asset class well enough, but it's good narrative. So it's, it's pushing yeah. things forward at least. Yeah, for sure. So it's a good story, but um, maybe more interested. Yeah. Maybe yeah. more the bigger end of town institution are probably more interested in that rather than than retail. Um, so yeah, exactly. I wanted to talk about your, your TikTok because obviously you're prolific on there. And I noticed that sometimes you have to spell out that you're not an accountant, you're a tax lawyer. From my point of view, I mean, for our listeners, 
they might be unsure of the difference because accountants, they typically see when it comes to tax return time and there's accountants out there talking about tax. I suppose I kind of see it like an accountant is a bit more holistic, maybe like your GP and someone like a tax lawyer is a bit more, more of the specialist that, that you get referred to. But how would you describe the difference to them? So our clients. Mate, I think you, you. I think you unintentionally stole my 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 <laughs> usual analogy. It, it's very much the, the the generalist specialist approach. In terms of you know what exactly do I do every day, it changes, and you know this as well as I do. Like tax is is reactive to you know what's happening in a business or in individuals. Sometimes those individuals create problems, and we have to solve mm-hmm. them, and they they sure. become very complex, high risk problems. But we also sometimes see very complex opportunities. And mm-hmm. the most common one that, that I get, you know, referred to from accountants is usually claiming the small business CGT concessions. So we're right. selling a business for, you know, three or $4 million. A lot of times it's relatively uncomplicated, you know, like we can go through all the tests. It's not so bad, but it's also very easy for that to get highly, highly complicated. So the, it's, it's very hard to know that at, at the beginning. So there's lots of accountants, you know, including yourself where, where we work through those issues when they come mm. up, but in terms of what actually it is that we do, I tell people this, you know, it when you see it, like yep. you do, you just, you yep. just know, you just like, we need a specialist for that one. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes people don't know that until it's too late. So what, what I, what I recommend to people is you need a quality tax agent who has the right specialist network, you know, like tax lawyer commercial lawyer, you know, financial planner, like those professionals in the network, Mm. because the tax agent, the accountant is truly the GP that understands the client holistically. And they can also be the ones that go, I know when I see it, it's time to get so-and-so involved. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good summary. It's, it's having that, having that network is super important. I've, I've definitely experienced that myself, especially after, after leaving a larger firm and you come out on your own and you have to sort of build that network for yourself. So yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, quite a few of my clients are crypto investors and uh, traders, or they're involved some way in web three, just thinking about this current tax year, what do you think they should be aware of for this, this current tax year and how are you seeing the ATO approaching it this year, if there's been any changes? So we had some web guidance drop in um, November last year. And I've been frankly a bit upset about it because it's not very good. And right. I think it's pushing a lot of burden onto yourself to, you know, help, help a lot of people make the right decisions when they're doing their, their tax reconciliations, you know, using crypto tax calculator and such. Yep. The, the hardest bit of this is the record keeping. But what I, what I suspect will happen is the ATO will easily nail the people who've done nothing. Mm-hmm. People who've clearly done it wrong. If if you've taken a position and you've been consistent, I think like that's as secure as you can be. You know whether you reject the ATO's web guidance or not, and I certainly do. But mm-hmm. most people want to be a bit more conservative. You know, not everybody wants to be a test case, and I fully understand that. But if you're gonna if you if you're gonna take positions, just make them consistent in the report, because otherwise it's going to look very suspect to the ATO and it's going to uh, you know, prolong any investigation. Mm. And we haven't seen those investigations come sort of in full force. And I think it was 2022 
where you know cryptocurrency was announced as a focus area, and and you know there were a few spot audits for some you know very severe non-compliance, and there was some data matching programs, and there were some letters which scared a lot of people. Yeah, but then sort of when FTX happened, it all cooled off because suddenly there wasn't as much tax to collect, and I think that's that's just the the, the long and the short of it. But we're coming back into another more exciting market. I know the ATO is conscious of these issues. You know, they've released this guidance. They're putting together sort of risk programs. And, you know, as the unpaid tax grows, which it will, you know, when you know, asset prices rise, then the ATO is going to get more and more interested. So if people are backing themselves that they're going to make, you know, good money in this next cycle, um, the last thing they want to do is get into a tax dispute as well, because I'll have plenty of those. I'd rather people just, you know, do the right thing. And the easiest thing to do is to just have really good records. Mm. If those things are missing, suddenly the ATO can get very imaginative in putting your records back together, which I don't think is going to be in their favor, in the, in the, in the taxpayer's favor, that is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I tell my clients it's better to have something to support your position and have the better records you have, the easier you can you're prepared in such case that, you know, the ATO comes along and reviews it often two or three years down the track. And yeah, like you said, they're going to take a, a dim view in, in some cases if they don't understand it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, I don't even remember what I did last year with, with crypto, frankly. And, and then there is, there is this attitude. I don't think it's an ATO attitude. I think it's really just a general population attitude that's relatively anti-cryptocurrency and blockchain still. And that's going to come through with the auditors because they're just people. And mm. if they come with this preconception that, you know, it's, it's for buying things off the Silk Road and it's for money laundering, then that, that's, that's the approach they're going to take and it's going to be harsher attitudes. So having nothing is probably the, the worst idea. Having something will, will, will make you sleep better at night. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I suppose following on from that, what have you seen with your clients and uh, for the listener's benefit? What do you think is the best way for clients to structure their, their crypto holdings and, and what, what are some of the ideas that you've seen to get maybe better tax outcomes or, or better protection? Well, it's, it's all the way back to fundamentals, really, Jono. It's, you want your capital assets, your long-term growth assets generally in trust so, or, or personally, so you can claim that CGT discount, whether you're claiming, you know, like long-term holding Bitcoin, if you're doing more active trading, you want that in a company, but the, the trust is still the crown jewel in any of these structures, really, because if you make trading income or staking income or other, you know, you can use bucket company structures and things like that. Um, so I, I kind of separate the, the, the longer term investors to the professional traders, the professional traders. And we, and we work with a few, you know, me and you together, uh, you've got to go with the company structure. You've got to go with that, that predictability of that, that 25% tax rate. But I encourage people to not overstructure too early. You know, like I'm sure you've had it too. I've, I've had guys that come and they say, oh, I've made 50 grand in the last month. Therefore, I'll make 600 grand, you know, in the next 12 months. And I go, that's not really how, how it works, mate. I love the optimism, but you've got to start with that track record. Trading businesses are, are relatively straightforward to move into other structures later but there's also some of these people that you know that they're going to be successful and you say let's just structure this right from the beginning it's a bit of an investment but that tax planning normally pays itself off quite well trusts 
you know, while they're great, they have their issues. And, and the main one in crypto being a practical one is, you know, KYCing trusts with exchanges is mm. still a, it's still really difficult, really, really difficult, especially with the big international exchanges. They don't, you know, they're not built to KYC Australian family trusts. They're built for companies, individuals, maybe certain kinds of retirement accounts, but, you know, trusts and SMSFs as well, just are difficult. So if people are going to do it, it's not just put in a trust and everything's all good. It takes a, there's a bit of maintenance. There's a bit of administration that they have to take care of. And if we overstructure too early, they spend all their time on administration and not making any money. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it comes back to, I suppose. You've got to make sure you're doing the, doing the right things to make that, that wealth and build that wealth. Yeah, exactly. If it, if, and if crypto is your thing, then yeah. Okay, I'd like to change tack a bit and talk about regulations. So I suppose in Australia, there was some talk maybe a year ago about uh, a token mapping exercise, which I think was something along the lines of trying to figure out what current rules matched up to the crypto landscape. But yes. since then, I haven't heard much about it. And I don't know what how, how much appetite the current government has to change anything for crypto or regulate it. What do you think about about regulation and where do you see that co that going in Australia? Well, the, the, the latest is essentially they want to throw the exchanges into the financial services license regime. And, you know, it, it's better than nothing. But what the industry really wanted was something a bit custom built. And really, it's just another authorization on an AFSL. And, and that's a bit disappointing in, in my view. It feels like the easy way out and it's not really fit for purpose. It's very expensive to get financial services licenses. It doesn't allow a lot of financial planners to still talk about these assets. It's still problematic, apart from the ETFs, which, you know, like that, that, that is positive. So it's quite disappointing. Me personally, I'm sure a lot of reg lawyers are happy that there's something because they've been campaigning for, for a very long time. But the, the token mapping exercise, we were hoping that it would expose the different kinds of tokens and how they're used so we can regulate them properly the, the, like at the product level. But then all we was regulation at the uh, exchange level. But not everybody uses just exchanges. In fact, I don't think most people use just exchanges. They use a whole bunch of other things. Um, and it didn't really deal with a lot of those issues that could simplify and make Australia really good in this space. We've got unicorns coming out our ears. You know, we've got excellent, mm. excellent crypto businesses from Australia. And they're not here anymore. They're gone. Because Australia is not a good place to run a large international business. You're better off moving it to Singapore, UAE, even the USA is better in some cases. Uh, and, that's, and that's really saying something. That was the reg side. We had almost no discussion about the tax issues for a very long time. And we're starting to see in the last two years, we're seeing that conversation develop. We had the board of tax whose reports due at the end of this month, you know, uh, July 20, uh, sorry, February 29, we should get that report. It's been delayed, I think, three times so far. It's about 18 months overdue. And in the last 18 months, the crypto market has changed significantly. I can't really say improved or gotten worse. It's, it's just different. And one of the proposals that I put forward to, to government was that we do a transaction mapping exercise for the tax portion of you know, retail institutions and, and, and otherwise, because the tax arises when you transact when you are using a smart contract or when you transfer to an exchange or when you mm -hmm. do something like 
that that's where the issues arise. Not so much like what is it? You know, there is some controversy around that about you know is is Bitcoin even subject to CGT? And there are legitimate arguments about that. I'm hoping that they'll get resolved in due course. But practical realities is we don't really know if staking income is income all the time. We don't know when it is, when it's not. You've got to come and talk to me. You've got to come and talk to you. When there, there should be a lot more guidance out there because. I'm not saying we're making it up and we're using our experience in all sorts of other areas to bring it together. But, you know, the ATO could just as easily have the opposing view. But one of the problems in, 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 in crypto and the law is humans have a tendency to, to, to use heuristics to try and simplify things and say, you know, Bitcoin's, you know, taxable, so everything else should be. But unfortunately, like these products are so different. Like the stuff being built now is is just like crazy you know we've got like restaking platforms six months ago you know ETH liquid staking derivatives and the, the the complexity of these systems just grows and grows and grows and the tax consequences mate we haven't even figured out the first ones we're still figuring yeah. out like how <laughs> this is all supposed to work so we can't keep pace we're already quite far behind we've got to catch up and that means putting in some general principles we don't need specific rules you know this this is that we we need some principles to understand when something is a taxable event, more so than the ATO guidance, which which I'm not a fan of. We 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 want a you know piece of formal ATO guidance, a ruling, so we can bind the ATO to it. And we need some quality of life adjustments because you probably hear a lot of people and they say, "Let's you know, crypto shouldn't be taxed at all," and they campaign for that. And I'm like, that's not really fair because mm-hmm. no other investment grade asset is tax exempt. The only, the only real one is the family home plus concessions for small businesses and stuff like crypto just should be taxed fairly compared to, you know, shares and real estate. But what we've got now is it's unfair because it'll realize taxing points at inappropriate points in time. And, and that's where a lot of things come unstuck when you start doing yeah. complex activities, it just becomes a, a nightmare. And, and you may, you may think that, oh, this is just a retail issue. But this affects, you know, investment funds, venture capital funds that want to support Australian entrepreneurs building these projects. But, you know, like early stage venture capital limited partnerships can't buy tokens because of the regulations, because of the tax concessions make it quite strict. So there's Mm -hmm. flow on effects through the tax law that, that make Australia not a good breeding ground for buying, selling, trading crypto. It's a great intellectual place to do it. But then all the value goes overseas and government, I think, understands that yeah. the complexity of the system and the regulatory systems in place mean we like the Australian economy just loses that value. But whether they're interested in solving it is one question and whether they can solve it in time is the other one. And I'm unsure about either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a, I suppose it's not a great thing when Australia's not overly friendly, because like you said, the, the value just ends up going to the US or going to middle east or yeah well wasn't there some other nice haven for for crypto startups oh, or portugal or something like that portugal yeah i was typically out of portugal yeah singapore hong kong a lot of those island countries you know the cayman islands yeah caymans um, bvi those sort yeah of all those all those great holiday destinations yeah yeah that's right and i think yeah so i suppose for the listeners they they need to know that changes might be on on the landscape and and to keep an eye out for what the ATO is saying on its website, even though they should know that that's not binding. 
as you said. So when the yes. ATO releases a public ruling, which is actually a written document that you can download as a PDF, as opposed to something they put on the website, which, you know, which can change every other month, it seems from the ATO's yeah, so perspective. The, the, uh, yeah, like I, I was in a meeting with, with government, you know, about tax policy and, you know, for crypto assets, all sorts of things in that meeting. Someone brought up and they said, oh, they, they changed the guidance in relation to airdrops. This was a, a, you know, a couple of years ago now. And, and like, I didn't even know about it. It happened three days prior, but there was no like notification. It's like, you can subscribe generally to, you know, ATO website updates, but you know, you don't really read them because there's so many. And there was no discussion that we should be expecting this. It just, it just appeared. And uh, it's just not a very good way to run the system when like, I, like I should have been the first person to know about this. But, you know, I wasn't, I was a couple of days late, like this, this, this should be publicized, but it's just kind of coming up sneakily on the website, which is, yeah, not, not very fun having to check the ATO website every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, maybe, maybe you and I enjoy doing that so we can tell our clients. Take it in shifts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it sounds good. I wanted to, to change, to talk about tax disputes, cause I understand that, you know, you help your clients with where there's a dispute with the ATO and, or an audit or, or review or something like that. And obviously with your, your ATO background, I think you'd have a, a good insight there, but are there any fun war stories that you can share confidentially about disputes that you've seen and, and where have you seen the ATO take maybe some, some difficult positions and, and how you handled that? Yeah, there's, I would probably broaden it. You know, there's, when we talk disputes, people think, you know, we're going to court, we're fighting audits, all those sorts of things, but, but tax controversy, as we call it in the industry, you know, includes things like ruling products, you know, getting, getting through really specialist sorts, sorts of issues and, and, you know, pulling the right strings and, and making, getting things to happen in government. And sometimes it's, you know, leave us alone. And other times it's like, we need a particular document from the ATO and they may not want to give it. But, but one, one example, and this was many years ago now, is we came across a very novel issue that was about 10 years old relating to tax consolidation. And we found about $10 million of unclaimed tax deductions in this group, which is about $3 million, you know, of, of cash that could be refunded to this company. And it was horrendous, the amount of detail. This was a very embarrassing issue for government where they put it in at the time. And they lost billions of dollars. They had to remove the rule about 10 months later. And yep. this client had just hit this sweet spot and they didn't even know it until 10 years later. And then we said, well, hang on a minute. You, you consolidated at the right time. And, you know, we got like the documentation was like monstrous, but once we had it, that the, this was in the middle of a sale as well. We were selling this business for, you know, mid eight figures mm -hmm. and the ATO don't always work to a schedule. So we were managing the, the, the M&A team were saying, you know, we'll, we'll, we needed some kind of ATO approval of this. And we got, it took quite a while, but we got them to give us a golden letter, which basically said, you know, it wasn't a ruling, but it was, you know, we agree with your position and these deductions and we'll grant them in full and all the, all the amendments and like managing the stakeholders in that, it, it, it took about nine months of like solid work. And I think we were very lucky that we got officers that were open to it because, you know, th like this was an embarrassing issue for government when it came out and we're, you know, we we're eight years past it at that point. But, you know, 
I'm sure there are some people at the ATO who were not happy to see this sort of dispute kind of arise. And it's very much managing the personalities. And they have a job to do. And you have to make their job easy. But something, and, and like that, that's sort of a good, good story. We've got a good outcome. Yeah. But you know, like I, I've, I've had, I've had really horrible experiences as well where working for a very large, you know, company in the building and construction space. And, you know, the ATO was alleging fraud had happened. So they could go back and amend tax returns, you know, many, many years old. And I remember I spent, I spent weeks writing this reply to the submission and we had all this evidence, we did all this stuff. We had counsel involved, made this big letter to the ATO, you know, cause, cause they give you a position paper, you get to reply to it. And then they finalize their, their order decision. Made a big reply. It was beautiful. I was really happy with it. I thought there's, there's a, there's a really good chance here that we might, you know, actually diffuse this. Mm. And we turned over a couple of rocks that probably the ATO didn't want us to, but that was, you know, strategic. And the, the finalization letter we got back was actually the same as the original position paper. Like they actually didn't add anything apart from, you know, we don't agree with your submission. Right. And it was, it was extremely disappointing. Mm. And then we had to take that matter further and further and further. And, and that client, I think, was being um, unfairly treated. And this wasn't the only tax dispute that they had. Like their, their group was being unfairly treated. And part of it was because of the industry that they were in. But the other part of it mm. was, you know, this, this group had a history with, with other government departments. And, and it, was a, it was a bit of a gang up. And I, I really felt that it wasn't fair. And as much as the ATO will tell you that it doesn't happen, it absolutely does happen. People make mistakes. And I think that that whole audit team made a mistake in the way that they behaved. Mm -hmm. But what can we do except, you know, represent our clients? It's an adver adversarial system after all, part of the, part of how it works. Yep. Yeah, that's right. No, that was, yeah, I suppose for small businesses as well, you know, they might experience that sort of pressure from the ATO as well. If things, if things go poorly or maybe they've been ill-advised, they need to. Well, you've probably seen it more than mm. I have in, in, in recent months, you know, people with slightly overdue debts are getting director penalty notices and things like that. It's, and it's mm. quite inappropriate. And I, I feel like the ATO, you know, as an organization behavior shouldn't change so quickly. They've got a bit of egg on their face with this TikTok GST scam. Mm. There's more recent mm. news about that as well, but I, I think they're trying to kind of make it up, like try and make up for it and be, be good tax collectors, but they're sort of pressuring the wrong people. You know, people that were relatively compliant might've had an overdue tax debt, but that always pay it. And they're getting hit with, you know, some of the hardest enforcement actions that you can get after not particularly mm. long amount of time. Like I've seen that quite, like quite, quite a bit. And, you know, there's no silver bullets to get out of your taxes, but you know, not paying them is a really bad idea, but now, it didn't used to upset them so much. But now it just really upsets them straight, straight to 11 and people start, you know, going to court, which is really, really sad. Yeah. Um, I'd love a bit more consistency in the way that they treat taxpayers. Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of saw they took, they took the foot off the pedal during COVID and maybe let things slide a little bit too far. And, and now there's the equal and opposite reaction to, to yes. start pursuing things a bit more vigorously. I'm definitely maybe we're just seeing the opposite, you know, yeah, the, maybe you're right. It's just the opposite of COVID times when everything was pretty easy, but yeah, they've got to make up for it. Yeah. Well, it's been a great conversation. Thanks for your time, Harry. I wanted to ask as well, just lastly, how the move to Brisbane has been for you and your family. And I know you were 
in Sydney and, and traded Sydney for Brisbane. So how's it all going? It's, it's, it's good. Look, the, 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 the driver for us was very much need somewhere to live and, you know, tax lawyers do you know, pretty, pretty well for themselves. But if tax lawyers can't buy houses in Sydney, I think we've got a bit of a bit of a problem. You know, I think that's a canary in the coal mine. <laughs> But, but anyway, you know, up in, up in Brisbane, look, my, my work was national anyway. I mostly do video conferences. I'm in Sydney. I see some clients, you know, I'm in Sydney in the next few weeks. It hasn't really changed the way that we do work. The downsides though, it's a bit too hot up here. Within yep. about a month, we just got air conditioning put in every room. Maybe, nice. maybe we just couldn't nice. handle it, but there, there's been a few, you know, 40 degree days and Wow. And when you look at, you look at the, the, the weather report, it says, you know, feels like 47 and I'm like, yeah, it does. It does feel like 47. <laughs> Those have mostly subsided. And I think for the rest of the year, it'll be quite pleasant until we get to summer again, but it's been a good move. I, I would recommend it to people from Sydney. Like there's, it's, it's sort of a baby city in terms of it's getting its sophistication. It doesn't have all the trappings that, you know, Sydney might, but it's getting them really quickly, even since we've been here, which has been about five months. Yeah. No, it sounds pretty good. How can our listeners learn more after this conversation? So you'll find me basically everywhere. I say to people, I'm like a weed, but if you do need to go looking for me, you can find information on our website, which is kadanalegal.com.au. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on TikTok. You said over 40,000 followers. It's 44,000 followers at the moment, which, there is, you go. which is good. I, I can't believe that many people want to hear me rabbit on about TikTok tax stuff. I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, but the best place to find me is, is, is TikTok, LinkedIn, website. So yeah, find me there. Awesome. Well, we'll put some links for, for people to follow and, and uh, get in touch. Excellent. Thanks, Thanks Harry. Donna.